sorry, my husband just bursted the room singing Jewel of the Fates. And he was just like, who are you on the phone with? And I'm like, I can't interrupt her or I'm gonna ruin the sound bite. Thank you for joining the Escape With Me book club. Escape with me, Sam Reiner. And me, Danielle. Into our most recent raid. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about a new book. We'll be covering the book from beginning to end, so there will be spoilers. Today we're going to the countryside as well as the cities of England. Published in January 2020, The Other Bennett Sister takes the perspective of the most overlooked character in Pride and Prejudice, Mary. Part retelling the tale and part new, dive back into the world of the classic characters, See how people change when viewing them from Mary's perspective instead of Elizabeth's. And watch as the wallflower finds her own footing and stands up for herself to find love and happiness of her own. In the end, though, does this book deserve to stand next to the Jane Austen classic? So this came into our world because it was gifted to me for Christmas. And it's a very long book. And I wanted to read it, but it was definitely something it was like, I have to do it for the podcast. Otherwise, it was probably going to sit on my shelf forever. So we've done the thing. I don't think there are any trigger warnings for this. Okay, so yeah, age level, it's technically an adult book. Like if you were going to classify it, because technically adults, generic. But I would be fine with a middle schooler reading it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I know there's some alcohol. So if that's something that bothers you to read in a book from like the 1800s, this might not be for you, but... It's very clean. I can't think of anything. There's some kissing. Oh, scandal. Honestly, the only content warning I have for it is child mistreatment question mark. But if you read Pride and Prejudice, then that's all that book is about. If you actually look at how the daughters are treated, I know there's no physical abuse, but because of the mom. Yeah. I just say that only because I feel like you really see Mary diminish as a person because of how terrible her mother is. And then she gets away from the mom and she's better because she hasn't been around. And then the mom comes back and it's just, that was a little bit triggering for me and so that might be triggering for other people and so I, I just wanted to be like hey be aware be aware the mother is a narcissist and if you're just not ready for that that's fine it is a lot more overwhelming in this book but I feel like it stays true to the original yeah and so it's not in a bad way it just definitely it feels like more but the main character in the original in Pride and Prejudice is Lizzie who is not her mother's favorite but her mother's third favorite because it's clearly Jane and then Lydia. I think Lydia's first. Yes, but nobody's as handsome as Jane, so of course she's up there. Yeah, I'd say it's Lydia, then Jane, because she's the prettiest, and then... Maybe Kitty. I don't know. They don't have any connection. True. Maybe she's the most overlooked. I did. After reading this, I'm like, no, it's Kitty. But I just read a whole book about Mary, so maybe that was why. But Elizabeth was such a strong spirit, and she did have the backing of her father. And she had the friendship with Jane. So she had stuff where it feels like Mary doesn't have anything. She barely has a friendship with Charlotte. That's it. She doesn't talk to anybody except for some guy who fixes her glasses. And then she gets shamed for talking to that guy. Yes, he's so poor. Why are you talking to him? They are poor. I guess middle class poor back then, but they're not well off. They're doing okay. Oh my gosh. How backwards some of the stuff feels. Mainly because our mindsets of things. Because it's like, dude, he's an optometrist. He owns his own business. His own optometry. Like, that's great. He's studying to be a doctor. Go for that. 
No. He's poor. Oh, no. He doesn't sit around the house and do nothing all day. Clearly, he's poor. Yeah, that part's a little bit ridiculous. And it's mostly, obviously, the mom that's saying all these things. And Kitty gets in on it. Because for a couple of chapters, it's just Kitty and Mary as the only unmarried daughter still in the house. And I wanted the entire book to be that. I don't know why I thought that would be way more interesting than what had happened. <laughs> that's what I want. You clearly want more Kitty. I do know more about her little life. They immediately marry her off to somebody and then she's never seen from in the book again. No. I think she's mentioned that the mom was staying with her for a second or something, but I don't think that was her. I think she was staying with Jane. She was staying with Jane and the only time Kitty ever gets mentioned is when Mary's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? All of my sisters are married and I can't stay with Kitty because she's married somebody in the clergy and so if they have a modest living but no place for her to be so they can't take her in like some of the other sisters could and so she's like oh no what am I gonna do and that's all you really know about Kitty. I love that Mary gets bounced around between her sisters and her married friends well her single friend Charlotte. Her friend of me. But that wasn't even her friend. Charlotte's the one who shames her for hanging out with that dude during the ball. Glasses guy. I want to say his name's Tom. One of their names is Tom. I know that for a fact. So he's John Sparrow. And they're hanging out at the ball. This girl who's never been asked to a dance ever, except for by pity dances. And even then, I don't think she had a lot of pity dances either. She was so far from everybody's spectrum. She was in the corner. Yeah, and so it was her first ball ever. And her first dance is a relation, like I think a cousin. It's like a younger cousin too. And he's not good at dancing or anything. And so she's just sitting around like no one's gonna ask me and so he asked her once and then he asked her again and then they're like sitting down he goes to get her ice which is apparently a thing did not realize how popular i guess i've never really thought about it but they have ice parlors instead of ice cream parlors and it makes sense because when was ice cream invented okay give me a second we're gonna go on a tangent you always learn when things are invented when we do these podcasts i swear fun facts with sam when was that invented okay so it was first invented as like a sorbet in Italy. And not where we're at. Yeah, so he was working in Naples, and so that was the 17th century. So I don't know when it came to... They had ice cream, and they didn't even have any. Oh. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, now I have conflicting... Okay, so PBS.org is crediting Antonio Latini, a man working for a Spanish viceroy in Naples, for being the first person to write down a recipe for sorbeto, sorbet. But Wikipedia Super trustful. is crediting Persia. Ooh, a little bit farther. Although sorbets are believed to have been invented in Persia, other accounts say ice cream originated in the Mongol Empire. Empire and first spread to China during its expansion. Its spread throughout Europe is sometimes attributed to Arab traders, but most often to Marco Polo. Did ice cream exist or not is all I care about. What is happening? <laughs> and I mean, it could very well be two separate people invented it at the same time. Okay, so anyway, this is PBS 2. The emperors of the Tang Dynasty, which was 600 to 980, are believed to have been the first to eat a frozen milk-like confection. It was made with cow, goat, or buffalo milk that was heated with flour. I don't know when Europe got it because the rest of the world is popping. They were not first. 
whatever the verdict is. So they only had ice. The rest of the world, like Italy and China and the Arab nation is enjoying their milk-like confections and their sorbets and their other things. And England had ice. So there you go. He got her ice. He got her ice. Anyway, so yeah, he goes off to get ice and then Charlotte walks over and is like, so if you dance with him a third time, everyone's going to think you're engaged and then your mom's going to hate you because he's poor. When it first happened, before anything else in the story happened, when that literally was the only comment, she was being a big sister, taking her under the wing. Clearly, Lizzie and Jane were doing their own thing, living their own lives. And Charlotte was there to step in and, you know, be a, a real friend. I was so like, oh, yay, more Charlotte. We're going to get to see Charlotte and Mary because they were kind of like souls in the books. In Pride and Prejudice, I always assumed that they were very similar just from the little bit we get of both of them. And then she pulls some stuff later on where I'm like, no, Charlotte is definitely only looking out for Charlotte. See, when I first read that, I was mad at Charlotte. I was like, you are a jealous old maid. I felt like she was jealous of Mary for getting attention and was like, I need to ruin this for you. Because she had no reason to tell Mary that. And then Mary became super self-conscious. Like, the mom wasn't paying attention the whole time. I just... mm. I thought she was looking out. No. That was the interesting thing. Seeing Charlotte specifically not in Lizzie's gaze. Well, and Charlotte already was so much older than Lizzie in in Pride and Prejudice is 21. She's 1 in 20, I think. And Charlotte is 27 years old. And so she's already a decent bit older than her, not married, a burden to her parents, as the quote goes. And I don't know, their friendship already was weird, but Mary's only, I think, 18 at the start of this book and in Pride and Prejudice. She's like 18 or 19 because she's the next kid and the youngest, I think, is 16 or 15. Yes. So she's somewhere in there. So it's weird. That's a huge age gap for not being related and I know it's oh a small country town and that was her neighbor and whatever but I don't know she started intruding on Mary's life so it's really interesting because in Pride and Prejudice Charlotte is a little bit like Jane but a little bit more jaded I think and in the beginning Lizzie's like yeah Charlotte my friend it's awesome I'm gonna talk to her about Darcy and she's a little bit like well don't tease Darcy and she's like I'm gonna talk smack about him I don't feel bad at all and that's the only really personality seat. And then all of a sudden, bam, she's engaged to Collins. And whenever they go and visit her as Mrs. Collins, it's the sister and the dad and then Lizzie goes, you get to see a brief window into, oh, she's content. She has her husband work in the garden all day and she stays in her little room. And especially if you've seen either of the film adaptations, the actress does kind of that one eyebrow smirk like, oh, he loves being in the garden all day. Sometimes I don't even see him. Until that moment in the books and in the movies, Charlotte doesn't seem cunning. She just seems like she settled for this life. Probably her parents pushed her into getting married to Mr. Collins. She was basically doing the Bennetts a favor so that Lizzie wouldn't have to marry him. And then you read this book, The Other Bennett Sister, and Charlotte is cunning and conniving, and she stole Mary's man because Mr. Collins and Mary could have made it work so easily if the mother hadn't intervened and tried to force 
Lizzie yeah. onto Mr. Collins, Mary would have, I think, naturally ended up with him. Yeah, see, that's interesting that you say that once again, because... I think you do see the cunning side of her because in Pride and Prejudice, and I think that's what this author plays up a little bit more in the, as soon as he's been rejected, Elizabeth's interpretation is like, oh, she's being so good to distract him. But then she comes around and she's like, so we're engaged. And you see a little bit of the self-preservation, I would put it. I wouldn't call it conniving at this point from Lizzie's perspective because Lizzie feels sorry for her. She's like, oh my gosh, you have to go through this and then when she visits her at best is like oh my gosh you have to go through this I'm so sorry that this happened to you but with Mary it comes around and it's like girl you asked for this and you are making the worst of the situation possible you know what I just realized so I read Charlotte in Pride and Prejudice from Lizzie's point of view and I know it's kind of her point of view because it's her story but I completely like what you just said, that's how I see Charlotte because that's how Lizzie sees Charlotte. And so whenever in this book, seeing it from Mary, who quite honestly is smarter than all of the other girls in this series, well, kind of series, not really, but in these two books, she sees Charlotte for what she is. As soon as they get engaged and then she goes and visits them, I'm having like one of those dumb mind blown moments. And it's not even that, wow, what a radical thought. I read the POV that I'm reading. <laughs> I need a second. All right. <laughs> well, that's how I kind of felt about when I was reading the book. And I completely changed my mind on Mr. Bennett because Lizzie loves him. And so you end up loving him. And he has the great line about you have to choose between your parents. Either you marry him and keep your mother or don't marry him and I will talk to you. And you're like, yes, daddy, vindication. But he's actually a trash father just as much as the mom is a trash mother. Yes, and I hate to see it. So I must stay on my little Elizabeth mindset and love him. But even in the movies, because the actor, thinking specifically of the Kira Knightley one, I love the BBC version, but the dad's not as good. The other one is the dad that I think of in my head. And he has all of these lines that the actor portrays so... I don't even know the word for it, but you should see it coming. You should see that he favors Lizzie and a little bit Jane and he has a favorite and he doesn't care about the other ones. And then, oh, the stupid, silly younger ones and uh, Mary, you're embarrassing everybody. Please stop. And you should see it. But because you're seeing it from Lizzie's point of view, she's the favorite. Of course, that's her dad. She loves him and he loves her and she's such a good dad. But in this other Bennett one, you definitely see his true character or at least more of a well-rounded character. I think the Mary You're Embarrassing Us is a great example of viewing the scene from two different angles because when it's Lizzie's perspective, it's like, oh my goodness, thank goodness. Why did you not do this sooner? Oh my gosh, thank goodness you did this. But Mary's perspective, he totally embarrasses her. She is absolutely mortified and it's to the point where the dude is so stoic, he tries to make amends with her because he feels so bad about it because it's so embarrassing to marry what he's done. And you kind of a little bit look at Lizzie and you're like, you were a terrible sister. Why do you only care about yourself and how the Bingley's see you? You don't care about these people, I thought. Excuse me. And granted, Mary shouldn't have sang. Fair. But you know, you don't have the skill, so maybe don't jump at the piano forte. Well, she can do the piano fine. It was the singing that was the issue and then she started messing up and then it just 
person was bad. But it was just, ah. And she was trying to woo Collins. Ah. That's just, ah. All that embarrassment for freaking Collins. They were meant to be together. I'm bitter forever. Charlotte stole her man. I'm not mad about it, only because at the end, she gets a better man and is better off and is fine. But I will say I do think this book adds more information about the parents. Because it talks about how Mr. Bennett married Mrs. Bennett because she was pretty. Oh, yeah. Their temperaments were ill-suited completely. And so that's why Mrs. Bennett, like, oh, you have have to be pretty because that's how she did it without realizing Mr. Bennett was like, oh, beauty fades. Crap. I am saddled with this person forever. But then he takes out that disinterest with his wife and just spreads it to all of his children except for golden child Lizzie. I mean, to be fair, she did marry well above their means and got her sister back with her boo. So two for two. True. (laughs) But even before that, I think about the scenes in the library where she works so freaking hard to think of things and she's like, I'm quiet and whatever. And as soon as Lizzie comes in, he's like, conversation flowing, blah, blah, blah. I want all your opinions. And it doesn't even ask Mary her opinion, just Lizzie. And then as soon as she leaves, he's like, and back to silence. Well, to be fair, while her dad's still alive and Mary's still not quite a child because she's a young adult, but she's so boring. All she does is repeat back what she's read. The first half of this book was so hard for me to get through. It was a lot of repeating Pride and Prejudice, which is fine, but it didn't do that much of Mary's point of view, except for the bits about Colin and Charlotte. It was a lot of repeating for me in a way that I did not like. So I struggled with this book, honestly. I feel like if he had taken more interest and been like, hey, she's interested in reading. Let me try. Because she's wanting to ask his opinion he's like where do I even begin and he's just like nope no conversation and so she starts in a random portion of the library and she thinks oh because you own these books you must agree with them and come to find out nope he just inherited books or whatever and it's just sad she tries so hard with the book and writing the quotes and then come to find out he hates all of them and all the effort was nothing and then she has this boy and they're cute but his dad owns a store Heaven forbid. Ugh, I love glasses. I think we've established his name is John. I don't care. This is the greatest tragedy of this book, that she did not end up with glasses, who she had a single conversation with when she was a teenager, and then saw him one time out in the street years later. And then that's it. That's literally it. I kept waiting for this guy to pop back into this book, and he does not. Spoiler. He's not a part of the story. And I felt betrayed. Glasses was her man the first real guy to dance with her and he got her ice so did both of the other guys so yeah but it's not the same the first time you get ice you remember Okay. I'm like genuinely devastated about glasses. For a really good portion, I was expecting him to pop up because she eventually moves to London. And that's a really interesting. It kind of cuts off as soon as Charlotte's like, we're getting married. It cuts off there. And no more Pride and Prejudice story from Mary's perspective. It's two years later. All of that has happened. You know the tale, blah, blah, blah. And she moves around to relatives. So she's with Jane for a while. Then she's with the Darcy's for a while. Then she's with the Collinses. 
for a while and then she goes to London and while she was in London I was expecting him to pop up because he's studying in London to be a doctor he mentions that pretty early on as that's what he's gonna do and then he goes and does that and so I kept expecting him to pop up and I was like oh he's gonna pop up and I was really excited for it until I started liking Tom and then I was like I swear to goodness if he comes back and it's him, I'm going to be pissed. I was waiting for it. The glasses is her soulmate. Or Mr. Collins. Ugh. Or really any person she talked to. No, I was so sold on Tom. I liked it. I liked Tom so much. And I was like, if their relationship falls apart and it's just glasses, guy, I'm going to be I don't know. Tom was such a wussy to me. I don't know when it started. I was never yay Tom. I know at the very end I had trouble with as soon as Ryder had shown a ton of interest, he backed off. He was like, "Uh, Mary could never like me. I'm just gonna leave and not talk to anybody and not tell my parents where I'm at and nobody can contact me. He went and pouted in the woods. Grow up. And then, because women aren't supposed to contact men first and I want to talk to you. And he's like, oh, yeah. Are you engaged? I know Ryder likes you. No, that's not what's happening. I like you. And I just don't think Mary would be as forward as she had to be if she didn't have him being as weak as he was. Yeah, we are on opposite sides. I think of it this way. She's 20 and Tom's not much older than her. That is such a 20 year old thing to be like, I like you. You like me, but you need to say it first. I hate it. But it's so true. I also hate that trope. And there were so many times. And there was even one time where she was like, well, you didn't say you liked me. And he was like, you didn't say you liked me. Why are you mad for doing the exact same thing? And she's like, fair. I'm still mad, but fair. Also, they're in the society where basically men have got to make the first move. Women aren't allowed to do it. They can't show that much interest unless he shows interest. And it's this terrible power dynamic. So that's the time that they're in. They all know the rules. Mary's playing the game until she isn't. He hides in the woods. No, no, sir. Not what we do. Yeah, that is very true. But I will say on that, that was so frustrating when the aunt is like, I'm not going to give you the address because you're not allowed to write to him first. And then Mary's like, okay, I'm not allowed to write to him first. So I'll just wither away in this house forever longing for him because I'm not allowed to write a freaking letter. Yes, no. She knows the rules and he knows the rules and he didn't play by them. And I'm mad. Freaking Ryder. Can we just both agree to be mad at Ryder? Yes. So Ryder is exactly who Caroline Bingley deserves and I am here for it. <laughs> Chef's kiss. This is it. Oh my gosh. So wait, before we even get into this hot mess love square. Yeah, square. Question mark. It's a lot of things. There's a lot of love triangles in this book that overlap. It's like a really nice adult coloring book geometric pattern. For what? Mary? She's not that pretty and she's not that interesting. Everybody says so. She says so. The only person who believes in her is her aunt. Which is all she really needed. 
But for real, though, her mother, ugh. Okay, before we get into all that, so two years have passed, blah, 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 everyone's married, is great, was wonderful, whatever. Mary is living with Jane and Bingley, and she's pretty happy with them, except for the fact that her mother exists. And Jane and Bingley just let her walk all over them. Which was something that Lizzie had said to her and her dad back in Pride and Prejudice, that all of their staff will cheat them, and they'll be the happiest people in the world because they won't even care. Yeah. I feel like that stays true to the book, but it is really annoying. Jane has no character development, and I know it's not her book, and neither was the last one, but I don't know. She's very one-dimensional, and you see it even more in this. And even worse is freaking Charlotte Bingley is living with them. Oh, Caroline. Oh, oh, that's, yeah, Caroline. Sweet Caroline, except not at all. Not so sweet, Caroline. Ugh. Okay, so let's set this up. Because Caroline lost Darcy, she's bitter. And she can't take it out on Jane, because even her brother would eventually step up for somebody. And she can't take it out on Lizzie, because she's over in Pemberley being amazing. So the only person she can take that out on is Mary. And she's the worst mean girl. You see it in Pride and Prejudice, but it's really driven home in The Other Bennett Sister. Just what a terrible mean girl Carolyn is. She's the best mean girl though. She does it so well where if you're not used to mean girls, you could read it as, oh, she's being kind of nice at least in Pride and Prejudice. Like, oh, maybe I misunderstood. Like, Lizzie calls her out well, to other people. I don't think she directly ever calls Caroline out. No one does. No one calls her out ever. And that's the problem. Yes. But Mary sees so much more. And I think because she's being literally directly bullied instead of side comments here and there. Because Lizzie had the power. She had the boy. Nothing Caroline said would matter. But Mary doesn't have anything. She is also mooching off the Bingleys as Caroline is. Except it's Caroline's brother. And so in a weird way, that feels more personal or solid or something. I don't know. She still has the power. It's a home advantage. Yeah, definitely. And so she's just outright mean to her. And eventually even the Bingleys are like, hey, Carolyn, calm yourself. And so Carolyn just starts in front of people. She'll just do these backhanded compliments. And then when they're alone, she'll just like tear Mary to shreds. So much so that Mary's like, you know what sounds good? Not living here. Yeah, of the sisters, I think that would be the best place to stay. Just because the Bingleys, Jane and Bingley, they're the nicest and the most even-tempered. And they can put up with Mary without being sarcastic and not mean-hearted. But Lizzie and Darcy would not be my first choice to go. But away she goes. She goes to their house. And they're so freaking cute. Like, they're so in love. And I'm glad that this author kept that feeling so tight and so permanent because after everything else in my world was broken reading the first half of this book and just seeing the different characters do different things I am very glad that was not in Lizzie's head they really are the truest most in love because it starts out really well and Mary goes and visits them and Darcy isn't there and so Mary spends a lot of times with Lizzie and she's really happy and I think George Yon is there too and they get along really well. I think they're closer in age and stuff. And it's going really, really well until Darcy comes back. And then it's just kind of awkward because Darcy's 
this book has made me realize he's extremely introverted. Oh no, for sure. He has one friend in Stingley. That's canon. Yeah, it's not just him being stuffy. I mean, it is him being stuffed in up his own, but he is also extremely introverted. And so he tries to be nice to Mary, but Mary's like, you want to relax in your own home and just be around Lizzie and your sister and your son. And so eventually she's like, okay, well, I can't stay here anymore. But that is very Darcy. It makes so much more sense because i don't know i just never clicked in the other one where i'm like oh duh he's just extremely introverted now lizzie calls him out on it when i think they're at lady catherine's or whatever but she says something about oh nobody can be introduced at a ball and he's just like i didn't know anybody there for me i was like oh no he didn't want to be at his house it didn't seem about wealth to me i know lizzie takes it as like oh i don't care about other people yeah i think that's a bad combination for him because bingley is such an extrovert he's like yay people it's awesome. But Darcy's such an introvert. The person really has to pique his interest for him to vest the energy to talk with them. And he's rich. And so he can't get business associates there. And he doesn't really care to talk to anyone. So he's just like, this sucks. Yeah, no, I felt that from him. But it is very cute to see in this because he wants to be comfortable in his own home. And Mary sees that because she's intuitive. And she doesn't hold it against him. No. Because she never really held any of Darcy's isms against him. Because she was even cautioning Lizzie. It's like, you might think differently about him one day. And I think she does it in Pride and Prejudice too. I can't remember at this point. She has no lines in Pride and Prejudice. She is seen five times in the entire book. And one of them is the scandalous whenever she's playing piano and singing. So I appreciate that. And as somebody who has a 99% introvert husband, I can also attest to the fact that Lizzie is, is part of his bubble now. It's one of those things you're just like standing next to them one day and then all of a sudden their bubble has extended to you. And now they can be around you for a lot of time period and not be nearly as exhausting. And so you see that with Darcy and with Lizzie and Georgiana. It's like these are two people and obviously he has it with Bingley but you never see him with Bingley in this book. But you see the two people that are in his bubble and then there's an interloper and he's like what do I do? Oh no, panic. I would like to have my bubble. Thank you. Bye. Please leave. But I can't say please leave because you're my wife's sister and she loves you and this is awkward. Please leave. Oh yeah, his politeness and just the way that that culture was back then. You don't ask people to leave. If they come for a day or 10 months, you're stuck with them. That's your guest. Be a host. For real, when Jane went to the Bingleys, and granted, she got sick, but still, she was there for weeks, and then Lizzie just shows up, and she's like, I'm living here now. Yeah, she goes for tea, I think, with the sister, with Caroline and Mrs. Hurst, and then is just there for at least a week. It felt like forever. And Lizzie just shows up, and she's like, I'm not leaving my sister. I'm going to live here now. Now you have two guests to feed and entertain. Yes. Polite society. No. And you kind of see it too because then she's like I'm gonna go visit Charlotte and at no point is there conversation of like I'm staying for this long it's just like yeah Mary is now living with us for an indiscriminate amount of time. When they went back to the house the Collinses the new Mr. and Mrs. and baby I don't know if he has a name I think it's William. They're all named William because I think Lizzie's baby is William too No different their baby it's 
Fitzwilliam. Which is Darcy's first name, so it's like Junior. Oh my gosh. I wonder when Fitzwilliams went out of style. William's still here. We should bring it back. No, we shouldn't. (laughs) But anyway, she goes and stays with the Collinses in her childhood home and has to basically take a tour with Charlotte, who got, at this point, the only man that anybody, except for me, really thought was a love interest choice because glasses clearly was not except for to me but literally the only other man she's basically talked to and she has to get this tour and I don't know what this made me so sad reading this well I listened I did the audiobook but still Charlotte gives this tour of her old house and showing like oh I made some repairs I got new curtains doesn't it feel like home meaning of course Charlotte's home and I just got so sad yeah there were a lot of times during the tour and Charlotte's like I made this better and this better and this better and it's like granted objectively yes but nostalgia wise you do feel with mary where you're just like well you've changed the place it's definitely not the home i lived in for 18 years at all you know that's gone yeah it looks great your hardwood scrub smells like lilac yep i do like that she ends up basically going back to the library i mean with mr collins that that she had tried to be friends with her dad in i guess the setting doesn't super matter but it felt like a nice little circle coming around that she did finally become friends with somebody yeah. To have Charlotte be so petty and so jealous. Charlotte didn't want him. I mean, they were married and they had a son, so they at least, you know, were intimate or did their marital duties or whatever. But she didn't care about Collins. She tried to keep him in the garden or in the library all day long. And she would just take the kid around. And then eventually, sometimes they would have dinner. Speaking of dinner, what really made me sad there was they would have conversations and Mary would be watching them and Collins is trying desperately to find this woman that when they were dating or recording for three days, whatever it was, was so interested in him and so kind. And it's like as soon as they got married, she flipped a switch and she doesn't care about him. She wants him gone. She makes him feel like a terrible person for even trying to talk to her. And that goes back to a little bit to the conniving thing because it's like, yeah, Collins kind of sucked being socially awkward and and you actually feel a little bit worse for Collins because you get a little bit more of his background and it's sad but yeah he's socially awkward and dumb and does a lot of things where you're like Ooh. But the worst thing he did was, if you really think about it, he tried to do the honest thing and marry one of his cousins so they could keep their house. And then Jane got married and was like, okay, well, we can make this work with Lizzie. And then she just is brutal to him. And he's like, well, dang, okay, fine. And then all of a sudden, there's this woman who's so interested in him for the first time, someone who makes him feel smart and listened to and wonderful. And he's like, you know what? This is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Everything else, be darned. I want to be with this wonderful woman who makes me feel so good to be around her. And then she got the ring. Yeah. As soon as she got the house, 
Because I don't even think it was the ring. No, because the way she treats him in Lizzie's, because like I said, we don't get to see that from Mary's perspective. But looking back, when she's like, oh, I keep him in the garden as much as possible. I make sure to spend as much time away from him as possible. It started there. And I wonder if the meals, if Mary was there, she would see Collins desperately trying and Charlotte pushing him away. And now that she's completely established, in the Bennett's old home, she's given up all pretenses of trying whatsoever. Oh, yeah. It's kind of sad. It's definitely sad. And I always felt a little sad for Collins, but not in like a, oh, yeah, we're rooting for him to find love. Because I did not care. And whenever he ended up with Charlotte, I was like, oh, weird. I mean, I did think he was better suited for Mary, just from literally everything. They learn Latin together. They learn Greek together. Greek together. Yeah. It's so cute. They both crave the knowledge and want to talk about it and want to just express everything. Yeah, because she's in the library just like with her father. And the whole setup is that they both study quiet. Like she's studying in there one day because she's like, hey, Charlotte, can I read books? And Charlotte's like, yeah, he's never in there. And so she's in there reading one day and he walks in. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'll go somewhere else. And she's like, no, it's, it's your study. Go over there. And so they separate and they don't talk to each other just like with the Bennett thing. And then one day he's like, can I I suggest a book to you? And then I'm like, oh my goodness, did they just start a book club? They did. They started a book club. And Charlotte doesn't specifically, Mary's like, hey, Charlotte, do you want to join the book club? And Charlotte's like, no, I don't want to join the book club. But actually, I'm jealous that you've started a book club without me. I think she cared more about how it looked. I don't think she ever thought anything romantic was going on between Mary and Collins. I think it's because it might look bad if the servants are like, oh, they're in a room with a closed door by themselves for hours and hours talking about books. If it got spread around town, I think that's all Charlotte cared about. I don't think she was clearly a little jealous of the attention, but not in a, I don't know, it didn't feel like a romantic way. It felt like a, no, he's mine. Stop it. Okay, so I will say this. It does get to the point of an emotional affair because Collins at some point is like, Mary, I should have married you. And Mary's like, okay, no, 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 no. We are past that point. You are married. You have major decisions. You need to make the best of it, which, girl, yes, you need to write a book. That was wonderful advice. Yeah, no, he definitely overstepped, and I'm glad she puts him in his place. I never for a second thought that she was going to have an affair with Colin. Once he was married, he was off the table. Yeah, I really respected her for that. That was really good. You know that single friend that has the best relationship advice? That's Mary. That's Mary. So there is definitely really obvious sleep to Charlotte. I wonder if it just awakens something in her that somebody could potentially be happy with Collins because Mary's having a good time. Like they're having conversations. They're speaking Greek. He's making her recite the Greek alphabet at dinner and is so happy and so proud and is talking to her and she doesn't really know what they're talking about but Collins really opens up to Mary and I think Charlotte senses that and so I wonder if that's kind of what tipped her off. Okay, I've been villainizing him this whole time and kind of having a Lizzie perspective and she's like I'm married to this man I need to make the best of it I'm gonna help him with the garden projects we're gonna try to talk more during dinner and stuff but Mary you need to go away. Oh yeah they could not have thrived together for very much longer especially after he thinks that confession. Yeah. I do think it is a little bit how you were saying how she had to see him kind of as a real person and not just a little slightest 
slot away. A little annoyance. Oh, okay. Marital duties. Got the kid. Got the house. We're just doing what we're supposed to do. He's not just a means to an end. Yeah, I think she realizes that because of Mary. It's like, okay, I've made this decision. We've got to work on this. And they end up having a second kid. I don't know anything about Victorian time and sex and all of that. So I'm going to assume things are better. I don't know. Mr. and Mrs. Bennett had like five kids. So who knows? But yeah, and Charlotte's just like, girl, you need to not. And I would have been fine with that. But okay, so Lady Catherine shows up and Collins isn't there because he has to go to a clergy meeting. And so she meets with Charlotte and Mary. And at this point, Mary's like 20, 22. Yeah, something like that. And Lady Catherine is just like, oh, you don't have any prospects at this point in time? You should be a governess. And then Charlotte's like, yeah, Mary, you should be a governess. And Mary's like, but I don't think I would be happy doing that. And she tells Lady Catherine and Lady Catherine bulldozes over and is like, I'm going to set you up as a governess. And so afterward, Mary's talking to Charlotte. She's like, I don't think I would be happy in this. And Charlotte's like, you should totally be a governess. And I'm like, back to disliking you. You jealous harpy. Yeah, Charlotte doesn't have anyone's good intentions at heart. I don't know. Unmarried women are governesses. And she was living at home in 27 is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And she was not a governess. She didn't even try. She had a little sister. She could have been teaching her something. Didn't. Didn't teach her nothing. And in the parting, she gives Mary advice to make bold decisions. And is like, cool. But that, like I said, the frenemies. Such frenemy vibes. Yeah, poor Mary. She has Carolyn. She has Charlotte. She doesn't really have her sisters. And then she goes to her aunt and uncles and basically takes care of their kids for a little while. I mean, she befriends her aunt and they get a really cute vibe going. And then her aunt basically helps her get a makeover. I love that. I love that for her. It's just Princess Diaries vibes. And that is a great makeover scene. So anything that makes me think of Princess Diaries is a-okay in my book. But yeah, so she's like, we need to give you a makeover because... Mary's just beating herself down about life because her mom is terrible. And so she's like, oh, I should just wear boring clothes because I'm boring. And Mrs. Hill, who is the housemaid. Oh, that's her other friend. I was like, there was one more person that was in her life. Yes. Yeah, her friend, the maid. That's it. And Mrs. Hill convinces her. She's like, okay, we don't need to go all crazy with color. But what about like a gold, like a very chill goal. And so anyway, she gets her a new dress and that's the dress she wears the night she's dancing with John Sparrow and it's going great until Charlotte rears her ugly head and then Mary really awkwardly rejects John Sparrow and then she feels bad about it and she's like, well, I don't deserve nice things because I was mean to this person and she really, really took that. That is now a core memory for her rejecting John Sparrow and him being sad. So the aunt is like, I'm tired of this. We're not doing this anymore. We're gonna get you clothes. And this is the trippy part for me. In Pride and Prejudice, they make the brother out to be like, oh, he's a bad relation because he owns a store. But this is like 
the department store of the century smack dad in a great street in london like this dude owns macy's in times square kind of vibes no he's a merchant he's trash we don't support it is how they all view it and it's just like why this dude has six kids with his wife and they live in a great house on a great street and they can go on three month vacations when they feel like it yeah that'd be nice but no he owns a store so he's trash and i'm like what business does darcy freaking do because that should be with that relation with the macy's and times square owner like the uncle could throw his own macy's day parade no. Yeah, no, I was very excited that she ended up staying with them for a little while. Or actually, I think most of the rest of the book. Yeah. Just because it opens up a lot of opportunities for her. She's in London. She's not a country home somewhere as nice as Kimberly is. She's not shut away somewhere. She has a chance to interact with people. And she's slowly gotten the confidence because she's not under her mother's thumb and her dad's dead. She doesn't have anybody. Yeah, she's mooching off of people, but she's not responsible responsible for anything. She just has to work on herself. And thank goodness she does because the first half of the book is really annoying with, I'm not pretty. I'm not special. My mom says I'm not special. Which is so sad. I know. And it it is sad, but it's so boring to read. It's so slow. And because part of it is repeating what happens to Pride and Prejudice, but from like, I'm sad and not pretty and not finding love point of view. So the second half really picks up for me. I love it. So much better. Just a small town girl. Yeah. Took the midnight train going anywhere. But specifically to her aunts in London, it really is small town girl vibes. She has been in this town she knows everyone there's literally no one to date and then she goes to London and now there's everyone she has two love interests pretty soon she gets a new wardrobe she goes to one hangout where Caroline Bingley's at and then meets Ryder okay well let's talk about Tom a little bit more because there's so much cute stuff before Ryder comes so when she's getting this makeover Tom shows up and he's just being silly a little bit and the aunt is like Tom you need to be more serious he's like nah I don't want to be serious and then mary's like oh so tell me about yourself and you learn that he's this lawyer and he's just like i'm a lawyer but i also like poetry and it's just so cliche but at the same time it has been so long since i read a good cliche i'm for it i just my heart was set on glasses so i was just waiting for him to come back i did not care about tom at all but they have great conversations together and he gives her a book of poems because she's like well I don't really read poems I read novels and so they start their own book club there are so many book clubs I don't know why but I just immediately assumed they were in the friend zone and I think it's because as soon as Ryder shows up it's oh very obvious that he's flirting he's trying to get with her he thinks that she'll be easy because she doesn't have anybody to support her and Ryder's the worst also guys let's be real and Caroline deserves him honey this is a romance novel of course he's gonna be a romantic option. I know, but he shows up and he seems he's about to sweep her off her feet. And Mr. I read poems in the corner over there in the woods. I don't know, he's just not trying very hard. Collins tried. He tried to get Jane to marry him, tried to get Lizzie to marry him. And then he went after Charlotte. So dude had a mission and he got it. I will say I tend to like enemies to lovers. 
I've found that oh, the more I read, the more I am sad by that trope. And I see why so many people are like meh about it because so many people do bad. But this is a definite friends to lovers. And I appreciate that. It was so slow. I cannot. But that's why I liked him so much because it was like they have a good foundation. That's what Charlotte and Collins don't have whatsoever. They have nothing to fall back on because they talked for three days and then they were engaged. And then they, what, a month later? married or something like that and then lizzie and starcy were definitely enemies to lovers and then jane and bingley were kind of they weren't friends to lovers they were the love at first sight couple yeah that cliche and so i just appreciated it they start a book club he makes her read poetry by wordsworth and so they have really good conversations about their favorite poems and he's like i want to unlock your heart and i'm just like ah and then he writes a letter to mr gardner to bring mary to a specific place so they can watch the sunrise over the city while he reads poetry to her why did you think they were not loving i did not support that there's a weird ass Hey, can you please bring your niece to this designated time and place? Thank you. And I know culture dictates he can't really be her pen pal as much. Well, she couldn't have gone there by herself, especially at that time period, to be alone with him. And so even in my notes, though, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, that sounds miserable because sunrise, but oh, my gosh. I didn't think he was romantic. I think he was not trying hard enough. And then at breakfast, it's decided that the gardeners and Mary and Tom are going to go for this long journey at the lake. And my notes, I'm like freaking propose already. And then stupid Ryder. Ryder's back again. Shows up. They're at the gardens, which is kind of like a botanical garden situation, but also circus, question mark? I could not figure it out. It was definitely something. But she's there with the gardeners and all like the kids and then Tom's there. But then freaking Mrs. Bingley shows up again. And if Miss Bingley hadn't been there. No, because Ryder and Tom were friends and I think that's why he came over. But still, I blame it on Carolyn. It's just so funny that another Bennett sister was almost with the guy that Carolyn had in mind. She really needed to work on herself. Yeah. But also, Ryder definitely pulls, because he doesn't want to marry her. He doesn't want to marry Mary. Basically, his big proclamation is, hey, let's live like we're married, but not be married. Wink, wink love yeah. <laughs> and she's like um no i thought you were gonna propose and even that i was gonna say no to so um no oh we'll get to that that whole scene is truly wonderful but at first i was worried that carolyn was gonna go for tom and then no it was worse the only way she would have gone for Tom is if it was just to spite Mary. That's what I thought. And she's so petty, she almost would have done it, but Tom wasn't rich and popular enough. Writer of all. Whatever, Carolyn. So I thought, I thought that's what it was going to be, that Carolyn was going to steal Tom away and then Glasses was going to show up. I would have supported that if that had happened. I would have been pissed. <laughs> So Ryder shows up and he is a little charming. And I even put one of his quotes because he's like, hello, Mrs. Gardner. Hello, Mr. Gardner. Hello, various small gardeners, referring to the kids. And that was kind of funny. And so they talk and whatever. And Ryder is like, yeah, this is my friend. We both went to law school and enjoyed poetry. But Ryder dropped out because he's rich and rich people can only do nothing 
all day. That's all they can do. I don't know what rich people do during this time period. They can't have a trade. I don't know. Darcy was away on business. And I'm like, what? business are you doing? You don't own Macy's and Times Square. Shut up. Anyway, where do they get 10,000 pounds a year? Where is this coming from? Anyway, I have so many questions that I've never actually looked into. And so I'm sure anyone who is well versed with the time period could tell me, but I'm just like, this is dumb. And I'm a little bit glad this collapsed. So they invite Ryder to tea. And Tom at the garden is like, Mary, I feel like I can really talk to you. Like I can't talk to anyone else. And I'm like, oh my gosh, get married. Anyway, Ryder freaking comes to tea and he's taken with Mary and I'm and we've talked about this very briefly and I know you're a little bit like why are all these guys suddenly really interested in Mary and I understand Tom because like I said they build up a friendship over time and they bond over poetry and she reads the entire book and they both pick the same poem as their favorite it's good but Ryder is just randomly taken with Mary and I don't know why no he literally only likes her because his friend likes her I honestly, subconsciously, I would believe it. Yeah. And so her aunt is like, hey, be careful of him. Don't trust his charms. And Mary's like, okay, I won't. Then she keeps running into Ryder and they run into Ryder and Carolyn and Mr. and Mrs. Hurst because they're there. I don't know where they're staying. I think they're staying with Ryder. Why are they? I don't know. I don't understand rich people. The Hurst live in London. Oh, that makes so much more sense. I was like, are they just staying with this random unmarried dude? That makes more sense. Yeah, I don't think that's funny. <laughs> he might be staying with them, maybe, but... But writer's like, Mary, give me your comments on architecture. And granted, she definitely has better comments than Carolyn did, because Carolyn does the pick-me-girl thing of not really saying anything and trying to say what she thinks Ryder would want her to say, where Mary is just honest. And that's the best policy in general. If the guy doesn't like your opinions, he's not for you. But what really annoys me is the whole Mary Ryder situation is Ryder is over-interested in Mary. Like really over-interested in her. It's just, I did wonder, is it because Mary and Tom are so cute? Because he just, it's not a love at first sight like Bingley and Jane. It's just, it's weird. It's a weird infatuation that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But the entire time, Mary's in such denial about it. And she's like, oh, I totally won't fall for any sort of charms. And then her aunt is like, no, you stop falling for his charms. She's like, I'm not falling for his charms. And then she does stuff with him, like gets ice and goes for walks. So romantic. You had me at ice. And Ryder keeps inviting himself over. And Mary's like, that's fine because I like being around happy people. And I'm like, honey, he's gonna think you like him. Yeah, she don't know. And I know you don't have a lot of experience with guys and that. And it's like, it's fine if you want to be friends, but I don't think he wants to be friends with you. And he doesn't. Yeah, but he doesn't want to marry her. So let's talk about the lakes real quick. Ah, that whole trip is freaking ruined. Okay, so the Garners come out and they go and stay with the Bingleys for a little bit. And then Tom writes a letter. He's like, hey, I've won my case. So I'm heading there and he's going to get a promotion and it's going to be great. Guys, he's been working on this case a lot. And so he's been super busy, but he's going to get a promotion with it and a new raise. And it's probably going to be enough to maybe start a family. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And so it's like, oh, that's awesome. So they're going to go to the lakes together. And then they're there and they're 
they're so cute. And there's that scene where they're trying to draw together and then they both suck. And then they joke that they should pretend that the sheep ate their canvases so nobody asks to look at their drawings because they're so bad. And as someone who can also not art, that is so cute. I will give you that. That was a cute scene. And she's like, you know what? I am totally in love with him. And then Ryder shows up with Carolyn and the hearse. Yeah, that was a weird addition to the party. They're on a date and you just show up with a bunch of people. And there's this one hike that Mary and Tom have been so excited for and been working up to because Wordsworth writes about it in his poem and they're like, we need to do this together. And then the uncle's like, hey, Ryder, come along. They have been perfect preparing for this hike. It's an intense hike. It doesn't sound super intense. I think it's like a day, but I mean, that would be a lot for somebody that sounds like they don't do anything all day because they're rich people. So it's a lot. And the writer's a complete jerk. And he's like, nah, screw being prepared. Let's go. And calls Tom timid for wanting to prepare. It's up to that point. I was like, okay, writer, whatever. Love triangle. You're annoying me. Uh, You're whatever. The book still has 200 more pages. We have to have something happen. Okay, fine. I get it. But that was the point where I was like, I think I hate him. Yeah. Don't tease Tom. Yeah. And then Ryder also, well, just generally being the worst, but he inserted himself in their situation, in their private moment. And then whenever they're on that extreme, terrible hike, it starts raining and the guide is like, hey, we have got to go. It's about to storm. And Ryder's like, nah, let's just face the weather. Whatever. Let's be in the storm. And Tom has to bribe the guide to be like, please stay with us longer. And the guy's like, mm, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, oh. It's macho man energy. Right. And Tom calls Ryder out for just wanting attention. Yes. This is Labrador energy to a toxic extreme. And then it's so disingenuous for Mary to claim she doesn't encourage Ryder's attentions because she does. Yeah. Mary can't play naive because she calls everybody else out. She's so intuitive. She sees everything that everybody else is saying. She knows Ryder likes her. She knows she's leading him on. She tries lay that she's not because, oh, of course I see him as a friend. That's what we are. We're friends. Um, no. And she's like, I don't encourage his attentions. I just go on unsupervised walks with him and totally agree that we should be out in the rain instead of safely going down the hill because it's dangerous, guys. You could hurt yourself. And Mary does hurt herself. Yeah. Her character <laughs> development kind of takes a little plummet with this one for me. Yeah, and the entire time Ryder's there, they're both not talking about it. And Tom gets really distant because Ryder's like, hey, I'm about to inherit everything from Lady Catherine because there's this whole scandal with her daughter being like, I'm actually in love with my doctor and I'm not going to do anything you say, mom, because you're terrible. Bye. And Lady Catherine's like, well, then you shall never inherit. And then she gives everything to Ryder, even though Ryder's trash too. Yeah, that was weird. And so Tom's like, oh, he's so much richer than I am. She'd be so much happier with him. And so he gets distant and then Mary is just like mad at him, but doesn't say anything. To be fair, he tricked her into answering 
answering because he asked her about her sisters and like how well off they are. And of course, women want money. She's like, yeah, I mean, ideally, we want money, basically. Yeah. So she spends the entire time being mad at him for not talking to her, but she doesn't talk to him. And that's when it gets like really annoying. And then freaking Ryder is still there and Carolyn is still trailing behind him. And I hate it so much. The lakes was the worst. Agreed. The end. And there was one point where I was just like, I'm about to throw Mary away as a main character. This is why you weren't in Pride and Prejudice. She doesn't have main character energy and she doesn't know what to do now that she is it. Oh my gosh, sorry. Just noticed in my notes, it was the part where Ryder's like, nah, let's be extra. And he's like in the rain is like traipsing around and screaming like a weirdo. And I just put catch your death, please. Oh my goodness. I was mad. I can see. And I also later put that Mary ran out of tomorrow's because she's like, tomorrow I'll talk to him. Tomorrow I'll talk to him. Tomorrow I'll talk to him. And then Tom leaves. I'm like, you ran out of tomorrow, girl. Part four. You're a woman. You can't write him a letter. No. Can't do it? Yeah. The letter thing was stupid stupid. Then the mother comes! I'm so glad the mom comes back at the end. I am, but I was so annoyed. And then the mother came. When I thought it could not get worse. Well, she tries to put Mary back in her place. Yeah, I will say, just before we think about it for a little bit, so Jane's pregnant, which is nice, because I was worried that they couldn't have kids, because Jane's would be a great mother. And she wants to mother, so both of those things. And she's in the middle of being pregnant, and the doctor is like, oh, Mrs. Bennett, for your health, I think it's really best if you travel. And I'm like, I wonder if the doctor did that for Jane's health. Oh, for sure. The stress on having your mother be there while you're pregnant? Like, no. And how terrible Miss Bennett is. Can you imagine her micromanaging? No. Ugh. And so she gets sent there and one day Ryder comes in and the mom's like, oh my gosh, this is great. A handsome, well dude. Mary, I don't know how you did it, but you managed it. Thanks. Now, it was such a slap in the face because the mother did nothing to help it. And she even comments on the new wardrobe and not in a, oh, you're so pretty now. She wears glasses. Ugh, gross. She doesn't compliment her daughter, even though she clearly is trying. Oh, yeah. Mary's trying. Like, she's so hopeful that they can rekindle this relationship because she has seen her personal growth. She has had a ton of personal growth in all of this. And as the author put it, all of Jane Austen's like main characters have to go on this finding where they have to find themselves. And in a lot of ways, Mary has found herself. And the mom comes in and you realize it's her fault. She wasn't like this from the beginning. Oh, yeah. If the maid and the aunt had been her family, if her aunt had been her mom instead, just imagine. Just imagine if she was loved as a child. And it goes back to you being even sadder in the beginning. But just the whole process of Mrs. Bennett kissing Ryder's butt, but simultaneously beating down Mary into submission is miserable. And this is where the content warning came. Because if somebody's dealing with a narcissistic mom, this might be a lot. Yeah. It was really gross, but it stayed true to character. It was good, and it made me feel the emotions I believe the author wanted me to feel at that moment. But I didn't want to feel that way. Well, and Mary actually does sort of stand up for herself. She's gotten that confidence in the clothes and having two guys like her. It's a lot. Which she's still 
still doesn't understand that Ryder likes her. She's like, no, we're just friends. She's not naive. You're so dumb. No, she knows. She's just saying it. So she doesn't have to deal with it. Subconsciously, I think she knows. Okay, I'll give you that. But on some level, she does. I think Mrs. Bennett was the only way at that point in the book that I would go back to feeling sorry for Mary. So the author managed that. Yeah, she's got a lot of character growth. And this is the writer situation that we keep basically talking about. I feel like we've talked about it three times. But writer comes in and is like, hey, Mary, free love movement. Totally. Let's just live together. It's fine. And Mary's like, okay, no. And what's funny is the way he says it. Mary's like, oh, he's proposing. And so she's like, okay, I'll turn him down. No, I don't want to marry you. And then he leaves. And then Mary's like, wait, he never said get married. He just said live together. Yeah, he definitely does not want to marry anybody. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she's so humiliated because she did not realize it in the moment. And she's just like, what have I done to make this guy think that I'd totally be okay with it? Because she does want the stereotypical marriage. She wants a good marriage obviously, but she wants the marriage I don't know if she wants kids or not, but she wants the marriage and the love and everything that her childhood didn't have basically. And then Ryder comes back the next day and he's like oh I'm so sorry, I realized what you've done. I will marry you and Mary is just like "Uh, no, still, no and then Ryder's like but you could change me and I wanted to throw him into a fire. That was definitely probably the worst moment in this book. That, oh, that concept of a guy just being so terrible and knowing he's not compatible. I'm not going to say not worth a girl, possibly not worth a girl, but at least not compatible. And him just being like, but you can change me. It's like, you're not going to change. Shut up. If you are with someone hoping they'll change, that is so toxic. But he's going to put it out like it's a selling point. He definitely has a lot of lines for her and probably other women before her. I bet he's lived with other people before. The absolute gall of this guy. Oh, yeah. But Caroline, at the very, very end, they get a letter or some kind of something. They find out that, oh, Ryder and Caroline are living together. Hope they're married. It's just so funny. She was so desperate for a guy. Yeah, let's do this. Even the way the book writes about it, Mary's like, well, I hope they're happy. But at the same time, you're like, girl, this is just sad. You were so desperate for a dude. She never went through the Jane Austen journey of finding herself because having a man was so important to her. Well, she's rich. Her dowry is probably very impressive. But because Bingley is her brother, he's not out there vetting any of these guys. He's like, oh, you're nice enough. And of course, Ryder's a charmer. So if a marriage did happen, I'm sure he gave his blessing wholeheartedly, which I do not think has happened. I definitely think they're just shacking up. But if Darcy or, I don't know, he's really the only other real character in this. I think even Mr. Collins might try to vet him a little bit if he had been the brother. Oh, Collins definitely would because clergy and he takes that very seriously. I don't know. I like Bingley, but he definitely would have approved, but shouldn't have. I feel like it's one of those situations where you just look at a family and you're like, how are you related? How is Bingley related to his sisters? They're so different. Well, because Bingley was the golden child, the perfect, he was the heir, so he was the most important. 
important. And then the girls probably had to fight a little bit, which one was prettier, which one was smarter, which one could get the better man. And of course, Mrs. Hurst got married first, so she's the winner. Another unhappy marriage, which by the way, there's a scene where they're doing a dinner and Caroline's like, ha, I will beat you, Mary, by making sure Tom and Ryder don't sit anywhere near you. In fact, I'm going to sit you by the worst person I can think of, Mr. Hurst. And Mary's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to live my best life and I'm going to befriend this dude. And they become friends. No, she could make a lemonade out of anything. I loved that. And then even at the lakes, Mr. Hurst is like, yay, Mary's here. I have a friend. And she tried desperately. She's had so many topics and she was like, I cannot bond with this dude. And then he's like, hey, I like betting on horses. And Mary's like, cool. I know nothing about horses. Please tell me all the things about betting. Yeah. Because she just likes information. I liked that scene. That was a great example of Mary being awesome. I do kind of wonder if she was written a little too... I know it was conveying, oh, she's a great listener and she is kind of an empath. So she would sense a little bit of unease in other people and try and correct that. She definitely has middle child syndrome, though, because it's something that I kind of struggle with sometimes where it's like, oh, everything is loud and chaotic and you just become more of a people pleaser, I think. And that definitely is what she tried to do. But I don't know. She was a good listener and anybody she got put in a room with, she tried to make friends with or at least acquaintances or some kind of bond, even if it wasn't a permanent one, because she didn't want people to be uncomfortable, like her father had made her feel. Yeah, she didn't want anyone to be with her and feel unwanted, because she knows what that feels like. Yeah. And so she even feels bad for Mr. Hurst at the end. It's like, wow, the worst possible person you think is your brother-in-law. And it was just like, Mary... I like you. We could be friends. Which is definitely not something I would have thought I would have said reading Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, she definitely was a little bit more of a weirdo in that one. But you were seeing it from cool kid Lizzie's perspective though. Yeah. And so that goes downhill because she's like, no, I don't want to do that weirdo. And once again, she can't write to Tom, but a letter comes to her actually. Oh no, he definitely eventually breaks down and writes to her. He'd been out of town. He was thinking. He was the and then he heard something about Ryder that basically made him assume that they were getting engaged. I don't remember quite what happened. Yeah, and this is about the time where she's out and about and she sees glasses and she's like, oh my gosh, he's moved on and apparently he's the valedictorian and super awesome and doing great and has all these friends and is doing wonderful and Mary's like, wow, he didn't let that one bad experience weigh him down for his entire life. Maybe I can do that. And I didn't really think about it because once again, this is another point where I was really worried. It was like, please don't. Please don't. I wanted him to come back and sweep her off her feet. Be like, hey, I'm valedictorian. I don't care what your family thinks. I have glasses. Like you do. He made her her first pair of glasses. He was like an intern with his dad. So cute. But that doesn't happen. It does not happen, guys. So eventually Tom breaks down and he's like, I'm, I need to talk to you. And Mary's like, no, I need to talk to you. And that's where she kind of breaks tradition and she expresses her feelings first. And then Tom is like, I feel the exact same way. And so then he starts explaining and he's like, well, I have self-doubt about things. and I like, don't compare to like Darcy or Bingley. And he's like, you know, once I get that raise from that case, he's like, everything will be fine. And so he was going to propose to her at the lakes. And he thought about doing it during that really cute scene with the drawing. But 
but then he decided not to and he's like no i'm gonna wait until the hike and then Ryder shows up he finds out well crap Ryder's about to be even richer it'd be selfish if i married her and so he tries to distance himself which once again if they talked at all it's the miscommunication trope that happens a lot in books and movies and it's so annoying. I think it's my least favorite thing that happens in rom-coms. I will say because of the society, it's more realistic than some of the modern days because I have read romance novels where that is the trope and it, that has completely ruined the book for me. And I'm like, you guys need couples counseling before this relationship starts. I will give him that. At least he was doing it because he thought she could potentially have a better life monetarily anyways, because Ryder would be richer and more well off and he just wanted her to be happy so I don't hate that I just wanted glasses to be her one so low so I think I set myself up for failure yes which is fine is what happens in my head so yeah you're right he leaves and then he's at his mom's house and he's like I can't watch it unfold and then he's at his mom's house and he's like I can't even get a letter about it and then he goes with bees in the woods and then eventually he's like you know what I just need to face whatever it is and so he gets to London and he receives a letter from freaking Carolyn, and I don't know what her plan is. I think she's supposed to be scandalous, but Carolyn's like, she turned down Ryder because she told me she still has feelings for you. And I'm like, why? No, Carolyn was definitely trying to just make sure Mary was out of the picture because she wanted Ryder. That was all I saw from that. Okay, maybe. A little bit of scandal, but it definitely was like, no, go get your girl so that I can have my man. It was something. It was weird. And Mary thinks she tried to pull like mean girl crap, but it backfired. And that's why I'm like, I'm so confused. Anyway, so he was like, oh my goodness, I have been wrong this entire time. Yeah, you were. That's why he's there that day. It all works out. And so they get married and they have a London wedding. So Mary can shine and not be around her sisters. Yes, I did like that aspect. She doesn't get attractive. It's not like, oh, she takes off her glasses and is suddenly hot, like in all the teen movies. Because she keeps her glasses on because she's a lady. That is one thing I've read a couple interviews that she did. And that is one thing the author specifically said she made a conscious choice of that. She was like, never in the book does a guy go, actually, you're really beautiful. It's okay to be plain. You don't need to be the most beautiful girl at the ball to deserve serve love. Yes. I do like that they stuck with that because when she got her new wardrobe, a little bit afraid that that was what was happening, that, oh, suddenly she realized she was beautiful all along. No, she wasn't. Or at least it's pointed out at some point, she was plain, surrounded by beauties. So, of course, everyone was like, oh, you're the ugly one in comparison. So once she got to stand by herself and actually shine for what she was, Mary's cool. She was still plain, but that's not a bad thing. That's not important to happiness as is pointed out by her parents. Mrs. Bennett being pretty did not make their marriage wonderful. Neither does Jane being pretty or Elizabeth being pretty. Their marriages are not successful because they're beautiful. It's because they connect as people. Granted, Jane being absolutely gorgeous is what caught Bingley's eye, but if she was a terrible person, I don't think they would be as happily married. Oh, no. Mrs. Bennett doesn't even show up over the wedding, and I'm happy about that, honestly. No, that is perfect. That is exactly what needs to have happened. Yeah, and so Charlotte has a second son, and she's trying to make it work with Collins, and Charlotte even invites her back to Longbourn, but Mary's like, 
nope. Nah, don't go. Not touching that with a 10-foot pole. And Mrs. Hill still writes her, and they're a cute little relationship. And yeah, Ryder goes to Italy, and then Carolyn is married to him, question mark? Maybe not. She definitely is in Italy with him, that's for sure. And in my notes, I'm like, is there a way to wish him happiness and her misery? Yes, it's this relationship. He gets everything he wants, and she gets to at least tell people that they're married, even if they're not. To just be in Italy forever. I don't know how that's gonna go. Honestly, I don't want to think about it too hard. As we, from our last episode, where we learned more about the birth controls. Yeah, if they have a kid, I don't know. I mean, I think he'd stick around, but... Would he? He specifically did not want to marry anybody. He's the type that only sticks around as long as he's having fun and as great as kids are sometimes no one can claim they're always fun and so i don't think i can't imagine him sticking around Hmm. yeah that's fair even when he was interacting with the gardener's kids like he was like the fun uncle but he wasn't like a dad type it wasn't like when jane is around the gardeners and it's like wow you would be a great mom no he's like the fun uncle that gets to sweep in and give them treats and then pieces out before anything happens yeah give the kids sugar and then leave exactly so i don't want to think about that too hard or i'll actually start feeling bad for carolyn because like i said she does not go through her jane austen journey and finds herself so she doesn't get a happy ending that's how this works Well, and there is a chance that they are married. It is not clear that they're not, but it's not explicit that they are at the end of it. I like to think they're not married and her life is over. (laughs) She was so mean to Lizzie and then also to Jane. Oh, she's the worst to Jane. And then poor Mary, this whole book. Yeah, but now that I can see the forest for the trees... Now that I'm not constantly engaging with it, it's easier for me to step back and be like, wow, I feel bad for Carolyn. It's her own fault and possibly even societies because I'm sure we could have some backstory about how Bing Lee was going to inherit and it's like, oh, you also, your only good is to marry rich and so she has to marry rich and then all the guys she tries for run away from her and and want to bend it and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure there's a way to spin it back around. Nah. Dowry is insane. She is fine. But terrible person. She's a terrible person. But force for the trees. I feel bad for her in a cosmic setting. Being around her. Now that she's in Italy, I can feel bad for her. But if she comes back to England, I can go back to hating her. Fair. I will give you that. But it ends and then Mary's just like, yay, I have a home of my own that I can decorate. And it's such a simple ending, but it was so symbolic and it's so nice because the entire time she's like, what am I going to do if I don't have a home of my own? Will I just be burdensome? Will I just have to be a governess or a piano teacher barely scraping by? Am I a burden to everyone I know? And then she has her own house and she doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Yes, I agree. Full circle. It's a long book, though. We've been talking for forever, but it's such a long book. So much happens and nothing happens, which is how this era type books happen. Like Pride and Prejudice is a lot of nothing. Bridgerton books, same thing. But they're just all slow and nothing really happens because that's just what it is. But I kind of struggled reading this book, not gonna lie. And I audiobooked it too. It wasn't like, oh, I had to physically read it like you did. I actually really enjoyed it. Kind of get to general thoughts about it. I love 
loved it so much and it ticked so many boxes for me. I was just in happy romance feelings for like weeks afterwards. It was good. And I don't normally feel that about romance, which is sad because isn't that the whole point of the genre is to be in your happy place with about romance and love and be sappy. But this actually got me there. I did not feel any of that. Because you wanted glasses. The true love did not prevail. <laughs> and then on top of that, I don't know. I think it was just the author trying to create the drama, create the tension, make her show that Mary truly did want Tom. But it felt like it was trying to pull a love triangle from Pride and Prejudice. Oh, Ryder is Wickham, the kind of bad boy. He's really popular and other girls are into him. He wants the main character. Now that you say it, I am surprised Ryder hadn't found a Lydia. But I guess Ryder's a little bit better and is not being a complete groomer, so. Oh, like an underage one. I was just say he found Caroline and she was willing to potentially not even marry him. So he did find one because that's what Lydia was going to do. She was promised marriage, which I think Caroline is promised marriage, but maybe, maybe not. He could have done the same proposition. She's like close enough. Yeah. I don't know. It felt the same to me without one of them being underage. I do see that too. Now that you say it, I just had a lot of trouble with this book. I did like it, but for me, it kind of read like a fan fiction of Pride and Prejudice. It felt a little bit like a continuation, which was nice because the author did try so hard to make the wording feel authentic to the original. Yeah, because you read them back to back, didn't you? Or pretty close together. So I read Pride and Prejudice and then I read, I think, three or four different retellings and a couple of them were good. One of them was terrible. And then I read this one because I was trying to finish it about the same time you were. And you finished way before me. Audiobooks are so fast. This one took a couple days, though. Usually I'll do an audiobook in maybe two days. This one took me about a week to do. This took me a month to read. (laughs) I know. I would have stopped. If I had to physically read this book, I would not have gotten through the first half. Well, that's why I had to do this for the book club. Because I was like, I have to be accountable or I will never start this. And that was a month of me coming home, reading it as much as I could all the time. Whatever free time I had, I was reading this book. And it was a month. Yeah. It's like 450 pages or 500 pages it's a lot. I'm not mad now that I'm through it because I'm like, yay, but it's a lot. Let's see, how many pages does Google say it has? Google says it has 589 pages. Mm, It was a lot. It was thick. This book was thick. One question for the author. So the woman who wrote this, this is her first novel. And before this, she worked for ever for BBC. And I think you can really tell because there are some books where are written by screenplay writers and the scenery and stuff and the action scenes are like, yeah, this makes sense that you'd write for movies. This reads like a TV show. Could you not see this being like three seasons? First one season when the retelling and then one season of an episode at the Bingley's and then an episode at the Darcy's and the rest of that season being with the Collins and then in probably two seasons in London. I could see this being a TV show. Yeah, I could see that. Or even like a BBC eight episode miniseries. One hour each episode, yes. So I'm curious 
curious because writing for TV and writing for novels is two different medium. I wonder if she found all of her TV experience to be helpful for the writing process or hurtful. And I'm sure there's certain things that were for both. And so I wonder if she reflected on it. Were there things that were like, oh, it was really good that I had this much experience doing XYZ. Or if there were times where she found herself writing for TV and she's like, no, I have to write for a novel. So I'm, I'm curious what her thoughts on that would be. Was this a secret fan fiction that you turned into a book? Okay, I was really worried you were going to ask why she didn't end up with glasses. Uh, no, I changed my question. That's my question. Why did Mary not end up with glasses? Devastated fan over here. Oh my gosh. He's still single. He is. He's on the market. <gasps> Georgiana's almost of age. And she's the only girl left in this whole series. That'd be weird. I feel like that's some fan fiction. <laughs> no, it's the Romeo and Juliet book. He is from the poor side of the trade world. And she's so rich, she doesn't know what to do with it. I feel like that's a little bit what happened with Lady Catherine's daughter already, with her doctor. That's fine. They love repeating tropes. <laughs> Darcy as the protective older brother slash father figure trying to stop this. And then Lizzie being like, no, true love. That's it. That is some fan fiction right there. That's my new goal. Glasses and Georgiana. That's it. Can you be happy with Mary and Tom now? Yeah, I don't care. They're in love. They're so cute. <laughs> I wanted glasses to find love. He had maiden character energy in the two scenes he was in, and I support him. A rating. I would give this falling in love out of 10. All the fun, all the not fun, because relationship conversations. It's been many years, many, many years. My husband and I have been together for nearly a decade at this point, and it's just like, yes, new love is fun and exciting, but I think back and it's like, relationship conversations. Though worst. I am going to give it a falling down a cliff in the middle of a rainstorm out of 10 because this was a trip. <laughs> this was a trip. <laughs> yeah. Exhilarating, fast, well, not really fast paced. Yep. I laughed. I cried. My feelings were hurt. Yep, that's it. You thought of fan fiction ideas? <laughs> so would you read it again? I would. I was half tempted to start reading it again as soon as I finished. I cannot express all the happy feels that I got. No, I would not. Maybe eventually, but I don't care about Mary's. I thought I did when you first gave me this idea. And then I think you actually bought me this on Audible. Probably. Forever ago, because we were going to do it. And then it just kept getting pushed back for more interesting books. And I see why. It was a good book. Well, granted, I knew nothing about this book. It was literally presented to me as a Christmas present. And I was like, wow, I have never heard of this book in my life. I now own it. So I didn't know anything about the book going into it either. No, I mean, it was a good book. I think I gave it maybe four stars. I gave it at least three stars on Goodreads. I did enjoy it. It just, I don't know, it's just not my cup of tea. And I love Pride and Prejudice. I'll read that once a month or watch the movies or the BBC. That I love. But I just don't care at Mary. I thought I did coming into this. I thought I was like, wow, an interesting sister's point of view. No. I will. Even though it's 589 pages. <laughs> it took you a month to read it. Why do you want to read it again? Because it's good. I don't care about the effort when it's good. Reading Age of Miracles is barely 200 pages, but that was hard. <laughs> 
Let's talk about that one soon. Coming soon to a YouTube channel near you. Thank you for exploring the other Bennett sister with us. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Danielle. And we hope to see you and a friend here next time. Escape from the Book Club is a Lunar Skulk production. Check us out on TikTok or Instagram to keep up to date with us. Lunar underscore S-K-U-L-K.